sleep well? Yeah. I went to bed at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, yes, 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 I did. And I woke up at 6 a.m. And uh, when I woke up, uh, it was very quiet. So, you know, I got dressed. I went on a hike. But when I opened my door, some girl was sleeping right in front of my door. And she, she did not look too pretty in that image. <laughs> I was, I was like, oh shoot! Uh, I wanted, I didn't want to say anything, but you get a good rest, yeah. You get a good rest. Let's open up to the book of Exodus, book of Exodus thirty-four. And you know, I want to encourage all of you guys who are here to be open to the Lord speaking to you, and I also want to encourage you guys to engage. Can y'all say engage? You know, relationship is not a one-way street. It's always a two-way street. Amen. And when words are spoken to you, it's a response for you to speak back. And as God is speaking through the message, uh, it's always a preparation for the ceremony. And in the ministry of the, the Holy Spirit or in the Word of God, it's not about what you learn. It's, it's more about how you apply it to your heart. Amen. So I want you guys to be open. And during ministry time, during prayer time, I really encourage all you guys to give all your heart all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Especially when you read this book. You know, there's certain requirements for different businesses, certain requirements for different levels of education. You don't expect much from elementary kids, right? You don't expect much from college, I mean, from junior high kids. But as you get older, there's a higher, I'm sorry, right? That's a slip up. But there's a higher expectation, amen? Every believer in this word of God, there was a full expectation for a complete full-on 120% engagement from the individuals following after Christ. It was to the point where every original follower of Jesus, except for one, Apostle John, was murdered for their faith. Amen? So we are expected to give all that we have, all time, every time we gather in the house of the Lord. Exodus 34. We'll read just from verse 10. We'll start from there. And we will stop at verse 14. And he said, behold, everyone say, behold, I am making a covenant, right? Everyone know a difference between a contract and covenant, right? A contract is written with pen. A covenant is written with blood. A contract can be broken by someone else saying, I no longer want to be with this. Marriage was supposed to be a covenant. And still in many nations it is, but for us it's become a contract. So many of us, we don't understand what a covenant even is anymore right? A covenant is supposed to be death do us apart. Through health, through sickness, through wealth, through poverty, nothing could separate us, and that is a covenant. And when God speaks to his people, he does not speak in language of contracts. He speaks with covenant. But here's the thing. God upholds the covenant. Here's the thing about a covenant in the kingdom. In the covenant of the world, both parties must keep it. But in the Bible, we see over and over and over, God keeps the covenant god initiates the covenant and god finishes the covenant amen he says behold i am making a covenant with you before all your people i will do marvels such as never been created in all the earth or in any nation and among all the people among you whom you are among whom you are shall see the work of the lord for it is an awesome thing that i will do with you Observe what I command to you this day. Behold, I drive out before you the Amorites. We're going to read a lot of ites and tites and names, all right? The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Don't worry about that, all right? 
They're just the neighboring cities. And the reason why he's driving them out is every tribe in that time going into the promised land, they had their own gods. You guys know the God of Baal was actually the God of crops, was a God of prosperity. And when the Israelites were worshiping the God of Baal, they were worshiping him because they thought they were worshiping him when we were prospering in land. So all of these tribes have their own God, and these gods provided for them what they wanted. And God is telling Moses, and God is telling the Israelites, as you enter into this new land, you got to drive them out. And it's a covenant I am making with you, and here is the reason. Take care, verse 12. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Lest it become a snare in your midst. And even when God told Solomon, right, you know, be careful of those women. It's because his heart was astray because the gods that these women worshipped. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, the place where they worship. He's saying destroy those places. And here is the motive. Of why God wants to make a covenant and why God wants you to tear down all the altars and destroy all the inhabitants that are coming in your place or coming into your way. For you shall worship no other God. Can we say for you shall worship? Can you look at your neighbor and say for you shall worship? No other God for the Lord. And that's his personal name. Whenever you see Lord in cap locks, it's not Adonai. It's Yahweh, right? You know, in Hebrew, I learned it's actually Yahweh. Way, right? Not Yahweh, Yahweh, right? But the Lord, Yahweh, they use his personal name. They don't use the God name. They use his individual name. And this is an interesting thing he attributes to himself. Whose name is jealous. Everyone say jealous. Is a jealous God unless you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore... God uses some very strong language after their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And you are invited and you eat of his sacrifice. Let me tell you guys something about the human heart. The human heart was not made to worship, but we were made as worshipers. It is a misconception to say, let's, we are gathered here to worship. No, you are 24 seven, according to the Bible, continuously, always worshiping something. Amen. Right? You know you worship something by what controls your emotions, what controls your thoughts. Because what can control your emotions and what control your thoughts has the ability to control you. And what controls you is your God. So God is telling the people here, you guys are prone to sin. Can I get a witness? Anybody here prone to sin? Anybody need it? Every, one time I was preaching and someone came up to me and said, Pastor Will, why do you do an altar call every time you preach? I say it's because I do an altar call every single morning I wake up in my closet. I got to die daily. The Bible does not call us to die once. The Bible calls us to die every single day because when sin entered into man, it was like poison that cannot be separated from us. And when we get Christ, we get a new nature, but everyone say dual nature. A dual nature is pretty much Smeagol. Y'all know that, right? You know, when he wrote Lord of the Rings, Smeagol was, you know, he's a Christian, the author. He was supposed to represent man, right? Pastor, pastor, now, right? That is, that is us. You're like, I want to worship God. I love you, Lord. And you're praising God. And all of a sudden you see the girl next to you. Dang, she fine. That's your sinful nature. And that is why we, you know, ever since the fall of man, humanity has been researching education, medicine, biology to try to cure this problem. We have improved, but there will be no cure until he comes back. There will be no full peace, complete peace that we are looking for until the second reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I cannot hear you guys. But there are perimeters that God gives his people. 
He gives us the word. He gives us the law. But most importantly, he gives us the Holy Spirit to obey him. We are not left alone. God says, Jesus says, I must leave. I know when I'm with you, I do the miracles. But when I leave, you will do the miracles. I know when I'm with you, I'm feeding the 5,000. But when I leave, you will feed the 5,000. Come on, somebody. But that's because the Holy Spirit will come and help us. But what is the motive of all this? The motive of all that God does for us is because he is jealous God. Someone say jealous God. When I was growing up, my mom always say, don't be jealous of other people. And I had an issue. I used to steal a lot. Witness? Anybody? Yeah, come on, somebody. I, mean, I used to go into my dad's pocket. My dad's, you know, like uh, dress, dress pants. I'll go off. <laughs> Pastor Aaron, the Lord uses the foolish, right? Jake takes sinners and makes us into saints. <laughs> Anyways, so I used to go through my dad's like uh, 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 dress pants. I'll find like 500 won. I'm like 50 cents. Yes, right? I'll find all this money. Take that. My mom used to leave her purse out in the living room. I'm so slick. I'm just waiting. Just it's to open up. No, no, no. Bam! I steal like 50,000 won like in sixth grade, right? And I got caught one time stealing. And my mom said, why are you stealing? I said, because Kevin has that. Because Jesse has that. My mom was like, then go live with Kevin. Right? I'm like, you never let me win, mom! You know? Say, no, no, no grace. But I remember one time I got stealing shoes. And my mom said, why are you stealing? I said, because I want what my friends have. And my mom said, don't be jealous of other people. And you guys know Oprah Winfrey, right? I heard in some like urban dictionaries, if you look up Oprah, it says rich African-American woman. They gave a definition to her name, right? But I saw this um, documentary of this Christian, not documentary, I'm sorry. I saw an episode of her show back in the 90s that my professor showed in class. And she's standing in front of all these people and says this. I grew up in church. I was a churchgoer. It's in our culture. It's embedded in who we are. We worship the Lord Jesus. This is on national television because they had to talk about religion. And then she says, however, during my college years, right, kind of like Emmaus, I went back home during a break. Like a lot of y'all going back home to the States. Yes, Lord. But we, we go back home. And she said, my preacher was preaching. And he said, God is a jealous God. <laughs> so the only, only time I wish I was black. Only time. Because <laughs> when I hear them sing, play sports, and preach. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It was like, if God is a jealous God, right? And she talked about how the preacher started preaching and saying, God is a jealous God. And all of a sudden, Oprah Winfrey, that was all about feminism. That was all about rising up woman rights. She said, I will not worship a God who is jealous of me. And she said, at that moment, she made a conscious decision. I will not worship a God who's jealous of me. And as I was listening to this, uh, the episode, she got it totally wrong. God is not jealous of you. God is jealous for you. That's a very completely opposite, different thing. You and I, we can feel jealous of people. But God don't feel no jealousy of anybody. But when it comes to his people, when it comes to his children, his motive of asking us to be faithful, his motive of asking us to worship him, is not only because he wants it, but it's also because he deserves it. It's because he is worthy of it. But most importantly, you see all throughout the Bible say, our God is a jealous God. See, our God is a jealous God. He is jealous for you, right? I was, I do this thing, but not anymore because I'm doing junior high. I'm praying to the Lord. I'm saying, God, should I do what I used to do for my college students? But I do a 10-week, uh, like a biblical manhood, a biblical womanhood series with guys and girls separately. And one of the sessions, I was trying to talk about how we as husbands, even though at that time I was still dating, right? We got to be jealous for our wives. And I was talking to my college kids, and we were sitting in a circle. And there was one guy in there, he's like 28, 
Right? You know, there's always that one guy's kind of old. He's like, everyone's kind of, I don't know, what do I call you, young? Or, you know, but he's so friendly. This guy named Thomas. Thomas is the ex-gangbanger. I'm talking about the real gangbangers. He grew up in Long Beach, hung out with Cambodian and Vietnamese people, like thugged out, right? He makes me look like a junior varsity gangster, right? But <laughs> we're, we're, we're sitting around. And I just threw out the question to try to do some rhetorical questions, have their minds start thinking. I said, all right, if you guys were married or you were dating, what would you do if your girlfriend cheated on you? Right? And I said, what would you do if your wife cheated on you? And my, my kids are all religious now. They know the word of God. They know how we're supposed to respond. I remember my kid named Elliot. He was like, you know, Pastor Will, that would hurt a lot. You know, so he was kind of like a timid guy. But I'll forgive him because <laughs> Jesus forgives me. And I was like, dang it, right? And he's like, you know, I'll, I'll tell my girl I forgive her as Christ forgives me, right? And I was like, oh, whatever. And I go to my next boy, Jimmy. Jimmy's like, yo, Pastor Will. And then, I mean, I'll get mad. You know, I'll probably confront him. But I'll, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. And I said, all right, yo. And I go, to, I, go to, I go to Thomas. Just saved. You know how someone's getting really blessed? When they start cussing. Like, what the f***? Oh, you know, he, he just starts, he just starts, he was getting so trans. You know, even when I first got saved, I was cussing. I was still cussing. I was like, yo, that surface was off the mother chain. That preacher was a mother. I mean, I mean people are like, yo, you're not, you're not supposed to cuss no more, dude. I'm like, why not? I'm not supposed to. But Thomas, Thomas was like, yo, you know, he's, he's like a new slang. I know he says, woo 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 I'm like, woo-woo-woo-woo-woo, right? This is what he says. I will kill that mother. And you got to remember, Thomas, every now and then, he used to come to church, he had with guns. He'd be like, yo, Pastor, what brought my gun today? I'm like, no, yo, yo, go, go, go back, dog. Put the AK back in. Oh, 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 my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. Right? But he was so hungry for God. He's like, I think he was 27 at that time with like 18, 19, 20-year-olds sitting down. He was like the one that was crying every single biblical man in class because he has a sexual past. He knows he's broken. He knows he's a sinner. He's just looking, he's just crying. All my kids are like, they're all like virgins. You know, they're men of God. They're just like, damn, man, I never lived that life. Oh, my gosh, right? But Thomas, you know what's the fascinating thing? Thomas actually gave the proper answer. Because when you love somebody, it's a covenantal relationship, and it causes you to burn with anger when your spouse or someone cheats on you. And that's why in the Word of God, when God calls us to a covenantal jealous relationship, He will be furiously angry for the things that are against Him in your heart. God will do whatever it takes to purify and sanctify the things in your heart because He is jealous for you and He wants you. And Thomas does not kill him. I said, all right, dude. And I had to talk to him afterwards at the time. I was in front of kids. You can't say stuff like that. But you gave the right answer, right? It's biblical, God. So God says in this passage, because I am making a covenant with you, it's not that I'm needy, but that I'm worthy, right? I was watching the Olympics. I remember the Olympics. This is what Michael Phelps was doing a few years ago. You know, every single person you interview, every single one of them, after they win a gold medal, is like, you know, you have anything to say? They're like, you know, I want to thank my coaches. I want to thank my teammates. I want to thank my mom. Right? And then the camera goes to mom. Mom, I see you, mom. Right? And another language is like, gracias por Dios. Gracias por mi mamá. Gracias. Right? So, 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 something that comes out with that. Right? It's like, everyone, everyone thinks, right? Everyone exalts someone above them. Imagine if we were to interview God. Right? God, you didn't even say God's like, look at the stars. I want to thank me. Look, look at the oceans. Look at the animals. I want to thank me. 
Because for God, there's nothing above. There's no name above. There's no person before Him. There's no person after Him. So when God demands something, it's not because He's needy, but that's because that's what He deserves. It's as if right now I were to steal your cell phone. Like, give it to me. You're like, give it back. I'm like, why are you so needy? You're like, huh? It's mine. It's mine. In other words, you are God's. You have been bought by a price. You know, if you were to be, if we had a, like a, uh, like a, I'm going everywhere, right? If you would have like a price tag on your forehead and, or, and, and then you were going to a grocery market and your head comes out, they scan you, it would say paid by the blood of Jesus. It would say bought, purchased. And that is why when we sin, that is why when we have other idols, that is why when we have other altars, and you guys are like, I don't bow down before any altar. I don't worship no little crafty image. No, you worship yourself. You worship your reputation. You worship the way you look. Come on now. We're in Korea. Hey. Every time I meet a girl, I'm like, let, let, me, let me look at your eyes. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But anyway, I'm kidding. But we, we <laughs> Jesus, right? God, God saves, God redeems, man. I, I have insecurities too. But why are we prone? We are prone because a sinful nature cannot be separated from the flesh. And that's why Apostle Paul says, the very things I want to do, I cannot do. But the very things I hate, I keep on doing. Who can save me from this wretched body? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who set me free. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you got to understand, God's love has to be the motivation of everything that you do. Some people are motivated by obedience. Some people are motivated by righteousness. Some people are motivated by, motivated by status. You know, I can't wait till I become an active leader. I've been a reserve leader. I've been a member. I want to be an active leader, an active leader. I want to be an apostolic leader. And the motives, because we're sinners, we are driven. But God says your motive must be love. Your motive is not your love, though, but my jealous love for you is what should draw you to obedience, what should draw you to faithfulness, what should draw you to passion. And let me tell you something about our jealous God. In verse, if you look at 34, you don't need to turn, I'll just read it to you again. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord your God, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. You know, we give nicknames, right? I was just talking to Tina. She's like, do you remember Chunky? I was like, dang, girl, that's mean. <laughs> you remember him back in the day, right? I'm like, I don't re- we give nicknames, right? But you know, in Hebrew literature, especially if you're talking to Pastor Aaron, I said, what are you going to name your child? She said, we're thinking about Shiloh. She's like, because this, 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 why? Names have meaning. I was almost called Richard, apparently. Thank you, Lord, that I wasn't. I like Will, right? But names have, in, in the Hebrew Bible, what happened when Abram became the father of faith? Abram turns to Abraham. What happened to Jacob as a deceiver and he wrestles with God. God says, you are such a new person. I got to give you a new name. You will now be Israel. He looks at Sarai. So you know any Sarai's? Probably not. You know Sarah's. It's because Sarai was the, the woman before who had doubt, who was frustrated because she was barren. But when the promise came, God says, your name will be Sarah. God is so jealous. He says, call me jealous. Just call me that. Just, that is who I am. That is my essence and substance. So much so that changed my name. In the beginning it says, the Lord, Yahweh, his name is jealous. God is jealous for you guys unconditionally. But the way God expresses his jealousy. See, God in the Bible, because he is omnipotent, omniscient. You know, the Bible says, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are so above we can't. So he has to use uh, manly understood expressions and symbols to describe himself. 
So he describes himself as a father to the orphans because he can relate to them. He describes himself as a king. He describes himself as a friend, a brother, even a mother. He says, I hold Israel on my chest like a woman holds. He's using every, every thing you can find. He's like, this is the best image. This, and he's expressing himself. But did you know in the covenantal relationship, he describes himself as a husband. And God's not like, man, you know, for me, I, like yesterday when I was preaching, I was like, what am I talking about right now? I'm getting too excited. When God speaks, he has a purpose. He doesn't just throw words out there. He has a, a strategic, a personal, or a, a, a reason why he uses those words. God says over, and I think it's in Isaiah 54, the chapter after this. He says, the Lord, your maker, is your husband, and his name is the Lord of hosts. You see in the book of Hosea. You guys know the book of Hosea? Right? You know, have you read the book of Hosea? Like, you don't really understand. If you know when you actually read it, it's kind of confusing. Like, what is going on right now, right? But there's one thing we all know. Hosea is like, God, I want you to use me. God says, okay, then marry a prostitute. He's like, say what? <laughs> hey, be careful what you ask the Lord. You know Isaiah walked around naked for three years? Did you guys know that? What the freak? He's like, Lord, here I am, send me. Walk around naked three years. Why? So that Israel would know their shame. Oh my gosh, Lord. You be careful what you ask. I went to, I said, God, you, one time I said, God, use me. I was preaching at a revival, right, in New York, uh, uh, at Pastor Yuri's church. like 200 youth kids. I got bored because they're all these religious kids. I was like, man, it pissing me off, right? So I walked outside, and I was like, Lord, I want you to move powerfully. I want you to move. And as I'm walking around the church, I see like 20 Hispanic brothers, construction workers. I said, Lord, use me. He said, preach to them right now. I said, Lord, use me in the revival service, God. I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to fall upon me, God. And God's like, you want to be used by me? Preach to them right now. I said, freaking A. I said, hermanos, habla inglés? Anybody? And they were like, and I was like, freak. anybody speak English? And they were like, one guy was like, no, I don't speak English. I said, ah, shoot. And I just started giving, they were all drinking, they were smoking cigarettes. I just gave my testimony. And you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. I was, I felt so like rejected. One guy to mock me, he gets up and says, hey, yo, bro, chill out. You want a beer? I said, Jesus loves all you guys. I, said, I was a drug dealer. They're like, yeah, me too, homie. I was like, freaking hey, right? You be careful what you ask God. Because God will listen and make you do the most ridiculous things. I'm telling you, man. But what drives us is the motivation. But what makes you crazier than the love of a spouse? Come on, now, what makes a person crazier? You know, I was looking at some um, pictures of Pastor uh, Christian before he met Pastor Aaron. <laughs> Different man, yo. <laughs> like, you know, I hope you don't hear this, but like, even like his hair and stuff, it started getting thicker, and like, his, and then I was like, his face started getting nicer. He looks brighter. You know, for me, when I like, I have best friends, and there's emotion. You know, like BFF girls, right? Right? You my BFF. Why are you talking to her, girl? I don't like her. If you like me, you don't talk to her. You talk to me, right? Guys, guys are more like, yo, I don't care, bro. Right? But different relationships have different emotions, right? Some of you may be broken relationships with your father, so it's kind of there's like an emotional um, hurt from that. But there's nothing that that enhances or puts to life your emotions with the lover. There's nothing that makes you more giddy. I remember the first time my girl held my hand. I haven't held a girl's hand in four years after I met Christ. You know, I was seeing, after I met Christ, I said, every girl is from the devil, Lord. <laughs> whenever, whenever I, you know, Emmaus brothers, y'all got to be careful, man. Freaking like, 
75% girls, man. I'll pray for your salvation, man. These girls are the wild, yo. Every time I saw a girl flirting with me, I'm like, Jezebel, you better get behind me, girl. But, but I, I remember, right? Sure, I'm a, you know, this is like bachelor. If you want to get married, come to Emmaus, man. So many girls, right? But I remember my, my girlfriend, and I told her I liked her, and she didn't say anything. You know, I liked her for two and a half years before we started dating. She just rejected me, nonsense, like cold, like, oh, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, so, do you like me? She was like, oh, no, no. I just, I was afraid. But I remember we started dating, and she held my hand, yo. Right, I remember I was in the, I remember everything, right? We were landing in Chicago because we went to Chicago to do a retreat. Me, her, and her father, and some other guys, we landed in Chicago to go. And we sat in the car, and she sits right next to me. And, you know, my old school game popped up. And I was like, There you go, you know, my, my old memories are coming back. So I said, oh, yeah, that's how you do it, right? That's how you do it. And all of a sudden, I thought she was really timid and shy. She grabs my hand. And I was like, oh, I said, what, girl? She grabs my hand and she holds it down and holds it. And it's a funny thing. Her hands were sweaty. So I said, what the fuck going on, right? But I was like, hey, girl, you must be just as nervous as I am, right? But she holds my hand. And the emotions that come behind that, that's a feeling you can't get from any other type of relationship. And God is saying, that is the type of love that I want with you. That is the type of feelings I want with you. What does God have against the church in Ephesus? I see your hard works. I see your good deeds. I see that you hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, but you've lost your first love. How far have you, you know what God says? I see you have good theology. I see you have good passion. I see you have good uh, leadership. But you have lost that emotional, tangible, feeling love. Love with Jesus Christ. I cannot hear you guys. And he removes their light post. That's how serious it is. He says, you are a jealous lover. I am a husband. And Hosea, you know what that was? Hosea was supposed to be a manifestation of Christ because Hosea means savior. Hosea was supposed to be an image of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And as he goes after Gomer, you know what's so funny? When we read David and Goliath, everyone's like, oh, I'm David. No, you're Goliath, all right? Get it straight in your head, right? People are like, man, Lord, I'm, I'm Hosea. No, 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 no. Jesus is Hosea. You're Gomer. Okay, that's the whole point. Gomer is a prostitute, but what happens? He marries her. All you girls are thinking about that, right? Especially you Christian girls, right? Christian guys who are like, I can't wait till I get married, right? I can't, now I can't wait to have babies, you know what I'm saying? My girl, she's getting her PhD. I said, honey, can we have a baby like right away? Not until I'm done my PhD. I said, freaking A, right? But he, he married a prophet, a righteous man. A man who's never probably went even close to the idols of different gods. A man who kept himself pure. And God says, you need to marry her because you need to know my heart. You need to marry her so you can experience that which you haven't experienced by marrying someone. And your love for me will grow as you feel what I feel actually for you. Hosea, you're actually Gomer too. And when he marries her, you know what happens? They get children. Nice family. They're doing good. And one day he wakes up, she's gone. Sounds like some of us. We're on fire. And a semester goes by, you're gone. You ain't coming to church no more. You remember all oh, that intimate moment. You're so in love with God from Emmaus last year. You were so in love with God in your youth retreat. Yes, I remember that. You wake up one day and you are back again in your old life because you forgot his love is jealous, relentless, unstopping, unyielding. And he goes back to a brothel. You know that? 
contextually. He goes to a brothel. He says, you know, kind of like taken, right? Remember that? It's like, chuk, chuk, chuk. click again. Chuk, right? It's like, that's my daughter, right? I will find you and I will kill you, right? Did you know that's God? That's God's heart for us. That's God's heart for you. And he goes and he buys her back in, this is important, in her prostitution. He don't buy her back after she did her vows. He don't buy her back after she put back that dress on. He buys her back in that prostitution. He says, that my wife. How did he do that? How can he do that? Because he received that same love from God. You can only give to others what you receive from him. He was able to show that unconditional jealous love for his wife because he received the unconditional jealous love from God himself. Many of us, you forget. You're supposed to be on fire. You know, it's only in Korean families. Maybe, you know, my dad's very Americanized, but it's only in Korean families you see the ajashi, the, the husband, the dad, 20 feet in front of his wife. Like, they're, they're eating, they're eating, not a word, just, it was good. To be like that. That's how some of your walks with God is. I'm married, yeah, I'm a Christian. I did the sinner's prayer. I gave my life to, you know what's so crazy I heard? Some people have Beautiful weddings and terrible marriages. That's like you. You have a beautiful worship set. Like, oh my gosh, you know, you're worshiping, you know, Pastor David stumbling sings. He's, he sings so well with stumbling, right? It's like, huh? he has that, like, kind of like David Crowderish voice. You're just like, you're worshiping God. You look at his face like, mm, yeah, bless, <laughs> bless the Lord. Oh my soul, David, Pastor David. Mm, bless the Lord, right? He sings so well. But let me tell you guys something. Uh, his face getting red, right? Pastor Dave, are you, are you single? Oh, not for long, brother. Trust me, though. Trust me, homie. They, 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 they come and uh, they're just waiting. They're like, hmm. You know, anyways, and I like, Jesus. Focus, focus. Right? But let me explain. He, he has a covenantal love for you guys. And check this out. You guys ready for this? I heard this from my radio. They said, um, like a marriage counselor was on a Christian radio. This is what he said. The more faithful a spouse has been to his spouse, the more grievously he has pain. He feels pain when they commit adultery. The more faithful you have been, the more pain and grief and and, and just just gut-wrenching emotions do you feel when your spouse cheats on you. I come from a culture. My homies, one of my best friends, he's only 21-year-old, 26. He has a kid. They're getting divorced. And I was talking about, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, yeah, we're getting divorced, dog. You know, I've been sleeping with girls. Or she's been sleeping with dudes. You know, it kind of hurts, but it's all good. Why? Because they both mutually cheat on each other. So they both, even though they're hurt, there's, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just the way life is. But for those who are faithful, that pain, when you find out your spouse cheated on you, it will cause depression. It will cause suicide. It will cause anxiety. It will cause insecurity to ever date somebody again. And maybe some of you experienced that. Imagine God. He is <laughs> He is so faithful. His name is faithful. He is the husband. He is a savior. He even came as a husband. John the Baptist says, here comes the bridegroom. I must become less. He must become greater. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ, the husband, loves his bride. How much more grievous, how much more pain, how much more 
gut-wrenching emotions does he feel as he sees us sin? And we think God is just like, oh, you sin. Here's my blood. <laughs> forgive, forgive, forgive. No, when you, when you experience, when you, when, when you experience that real love, I'm talking about the apple of his eye love, that, that like, that holy love, that love that makes you cray cray. You don't need to be crazy like me. Like, you know, I'm like physically crazy too. I'm talking about in that emotional, you know, the Bible, Timothy was not an extrovert. If you read the book of Timothy, he was an introvert. And that's why Apostle Paul says, you do not receive a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and a sound mind. Because he was shy. You look at Apostle John, he was shy. He was the Lord's beloved. He laid his head on his chest. Peter was like me. He's like, yo, I ain't denying you ever. <laughs> Satan, what? <laughs> Lord, you know, Peter, Peter was so stupid. Peter was so stupid. Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. The next day, he gets betrayed. He takes off his knife and cuts off his ear like, I saved you, Lord. Jesus is like, look, man. Hold on, hold on. My bad. Peter kind of stupid. Let me heal your ear real quick. And he looks at Peter and says, look, if I wanted to be set free, you know what Jesus says? I will call a legion of angels to help me. I was like, who can say that? That, that holy love that Peter had, to whom shall I go to? You have the words of eternal life. I guarantee he had no idea what he was talking about. At that moment, no one knew who Jesus was. But when Jesus spoke, that love, that, that, that gong. You know when God speaks, it's like a gong in your heart? That is like a string. When God speaks, it strikes your heart. Ah, oh, man, I want to wait. But brother in the blue shirt, yesterday, when, we were, when you were sitting right here, I felt like you see Jesus as good, but he's calling you to see Jesus as God. And God wants to, yesterday when we were standing here, I was actually going for you. But I said, Lord, let's just let this happen. And I feel like God wants to actually, he's asking you. Because he's a gentleman, he'll never break it down. But he's inviting you to follow after him. So I really want to encourage you, don't, don't put him among many. You know, Jesus is the only person that said he is God. Buddha never said he was God. Confucius never said he was God. Uh, Muhammad never said he was God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He made exclusive claims. I want to encourage you to step out in faith. Because at the end of the day, intellect will not get you saved. Faith will get you saved. And everyone has faith. And I feel like God is asking you right now to come and, and just, just say, this is it. The freak. Let's go. All right. Anyways. Okay. Now, in, in, in the jealous love of God, let me explain this. And we're, we're, we're coming to a, we're coming, we're going to land this soon. I want you guys to imagine the future, and those of you already have, myself is coming really close, and I already did this. You know, you sisters, you want to get married one day? Amen? Amen. That was really weak. That means the guys, we're not, they didn't want us, right? But bro- brothers, y'all want to get married one day? Oh, dang, girls, be careful. <laughs> that one is ready right there. Amen! Amen, I cry out to the Lord. You know, you know when, when you come, you know, when I, when I got married, when uh, I started thinking about, do I want to marry my fiance? I started thinking for real, even though I'm kind of crazy. I started saying, like, we're so different. She's getting her PhD. How am I going to, how are we going to serve together? She wants to be a missionary full time. I want to be a church planner. I was like, how are we going to do this? I started questioning. And this is what dawned on me. This is when I knew I wanted to marry her. There's no one else I want. It just, it just dawned on me. So when I, when I went and I prepared my proposal, I got that ring, I saved for four years. All my speaking engagements, just put it in that, put it in that check his account, check his account. And I got that ring. And when I got on my knees, right, you know, when, when you propose, right, when I said, will you marry me? She paused. It felt like eternity. 
I was like, you know, I said my little speech. The funny thing is one of my friends was recording behind. This, I don't know why I'm saying this, but he was freaking recording behind the drums. He falls. <laughs> and the whole drum set falls to the ground. Like, doo, 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 doo. And it's like, I was like at my speech. And we just, pow, we started laughing. But I remember I, I got down on my knees and I said, honey, will you marry me? And she was like, Again, you said no when you come in. And she's like, yes, right? And after the engagement, I said, honey, why did you wait so long? And she was like, I want to soak it in. I was like, all right, cool, man. What's wrong with you girls, man? I was like, hurry up. She was like, yes. I was like, oh, tell Frank. But let me explain what that means. When I, when I came, to my fiance, who I get married in April. And when I got down on my knees and I said, will you marry? You know what I was saying? When I, with my yes to her, I was saying no to every other girl simultaneously. My one yes, by default, is a no to every other option, every other girl. And that's why we wear that ring. And same for you sisters. When a guy comes to you and says, will you marry me? When you say yes to him, you're saying no to every other option. When we come to Christ... When we come to God, the nature of a covenant means yes to you, Lord. No to that. 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 Yes to you, Jesus. And that is what God is calling Emmaus. And that is what God is calling you to be jealous, ferocious lovers of God. Lovers of God. You got to have that jealous love of God. You got to have that. If you don't understand that your identity will always be based on something else. Always be based on, did I read the Bible today? God's be based on receiving and knowing his love for you. And here's the question, I, I'm going to land this. I want you guys to turn to Luke 17. Actually, let's, I was either going to do Luke 17 or Luke 7. Let's do Luke 7. The Lord is here. He's speaking. Do not think it's just words. How do you engage with a jealous lover? How, now that you know he's a jealous lover, how do you come into covenant with him? How do you and I, knowing that he is, enter into that relationship in a deeper way? In Luke 7, verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And can I get the praise team up here? And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. I want you guys to look at verse uh, 45 now. Skip down. He has a conversation with a Pharisee, and the Pharisee talks about, you know, she's a sinner, and he responds with verse 45. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now look here. Do you guys know contextually, this woman is a prostitute. And many, again, again, you guys always say, I'm not a prostitute. No, you are in your own way. 
You know how she comes to Christ? With an alabaster jar. What do we learn in this we learned that the alabaster jar was the money she saved up, like a year's wages, something very expensive. No, that's not what it is. The alabaster jar was the perfume she used to attract men. Prostitutes were known. And even today, you watch commercials, all these guys all over. The perfume. What does she bring to Christ? Something valuable? No, her sins. What does she come to Christ? She brings her hair down. You know, Gary Burge, this kind of promiscuous, kind of provocative, but this is what he says. In the first century, for a woman to lay down her hair in the public was like for today, a woman to walk with no shirt on. So that's the context. And that's why the Bible says women should cover their head. Because culturally, it's still in the Middle East. They cover their hair because it's a sign of lust, a sign of, you want me? <laughs> so when she comes to Jesus, she does not come with a praise report. She does not come with, Lord, I casted out these demons. I've been walking so victoriously. No, she comes with her brokenness. She comes with her sins. She comes with the very thing that separated her from God. You know how you engage with a jealous lover? You give him your sins. When she came and broke that perfume, this is what she was saying. Can we play now? Yeah, we're charismatic now. I'm saying I need your help right now. <sighs> hey, you know, the, the, the guitar is not music. It's worship. King David. Saul was being tortured by a spirit. And David just starts playing a harp. Like Pastor David, right? They just starts playing. And it says evil spirits will leave and God's spirit will come. And that's when the music comes and it's done in the right way. Because Lucifer was also a worship leader. He took away what originally began to God. But when we do it rightly, it opens your heart. Many of you, you're engaging with God up here. You got to engage with God down here. Worship is not of a fruit. It is of the mind, but it's the mind that goes to a sea down to your heart and releases a passion and says, I don't care what they think. I don't care what they say. I don't care about my past. I want you right now, Jesus. I don't care what I went through in high school. I don't care if I feel like everyone next to me is getting blessed. I come to you in my sins because you are jealous for me. You don't come to God bragging. You come to God broken. You don't come to God boasting. You come to God in humility and say, Lord, I don't deserve it, God. It says in Luke 17, there was two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And, and my message today is a new relationship, a new commitment, new things. I'm telling you, all begins with you and then goes forth from you, not to you. It goes from you. The Lord is calling. Brother in the, another blue shirt with the hat on. Check with your leaders, you know. I could be wrong. I believe you're going to preach I see you preaching. I see a fire of the, I, I see God using your lips to be able to minister to people. And I could be totally wrong, but I want to encourage you. There's some, there's some insecurity on you because you felt like feminine and stuff, but that is not true. You are a man. You're a man of God. And I see the Lord going to use you powerfully when you speak. Do not be afraid to speak truth. Do not be afraid to preach. Do not be afraid to give your testimony because I believe the Lord is going to use you. Amen. Sorry. Anyways, this, this is what it is. You got to want it. You know, a lot of people, they, they just, they just, they, they think of God like, like they forget that Jesus was crucified. Like they forget, like, you know, you know, Jesus didn't wake up on Good Friday like, yes, I'm so excited to die. No, he says, Father, take this cup from me. What drew his jealous love for his father and for us? Take this cup from me, Lord. He was sweating blood. 
I saw a document. I saw a YouTube clip of uh, studying the cross through med- medical research. It says when you are in the highest, like the most highest levels of stress, you actually sweat blood. When you're like, that's how much weight he had on his shoulders. And he's thinking about glorifying his father. He's dropping blood. He says, but not my will, your will be done. How can we who experience that Jesus be dry? Let's start. I want you guys to close your eyes.